I can't hear you. Press the button, you donut. Beth Accomando, can you hear me? Yeah, obviously, if you press the button. This is Beth Accomando. What do you want? Well, I want to interview Stephen Toast. I mean, Dr. Lucien Sanchez. No, wait, that's Todd Rivers. Oh, and Douglas Renholm? And of course, Laszlo Cravensworth. But wait, all of those people have been brought to life by the phenomenally talented Matt Berry. So I want to talk to him. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you very much. That's right. Actor, writer, and composer Matt Berry will be my guest today. But fair warning, this podcast contains Matt Berry, which means it contains strong language and adult humor. So you've been warned. Welcome back to another episode of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. Yeah, I know who you are. And that is actor Matt Berry as Stephen Toast in the Channel 4 comedy Toast of London, which won him the BAFTA Award for Best Male Performance in a Comedy Program. But people might be more familiar with him as the Staten Island vampire Laszlo in the FX Network's show What We Do in the Shadows. After all that nonsense on Staten Island, I cut loose to Pennsylvania because it sounded like Transylvania. We all know that sounds cool. And Barry is cool. I first became aware of him in the wacky and brilliant Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, an absurd spoof of general hospital-style soap opera, only this one involves a lot of action, violence, and yes, even song. I'll put some sounds on. There's a bad atmosphere in here. Why won't she be mine? I wish I was more attractive like Douglas. Still, one can only dream. I'm a one-track lover Down a two-way lane Driving fast down the highway Must have been insane Cause the temperature's too high Traveling way too fast And I knew our loving Was too hot to last Oh, and did I mention? Barry is also a singer, musician, and composer. He created the opening theme for the 2006 comic miniseries Snuffbox, in which he played a hangman. American audiences might have first become aware of him for his role in the IT crowd as the buffoonish boss who's always on the make, Douglas Renholm. Hey, why don't you take your clothes off? <laughs> what? Come on, we both knew it was on the cards as soon as I realized you were a woman. What if someone were to walk in? I left strict instructions not to be disturbed in case we had sex. But I digress. The main reason for speaking to Barry now is that What We Do in the Shadows wraps its second bloody amazing season on June 10th. The show was a spin-off of the mockumentary feature of the same name created by Jemaine Clement and Taika Waititi in 2014. 
The film focused on a group of Wellington vampire roommates coping with everything from pesky local werewolves to how to dress when you have no reflection to who does the dishes. For the TV show, the setting was moved to New York and a new set of characters were created, with Barry playing Laszlo Cravensworth. I need to take one quick break, and then I'll be back with my interview with the multi-talented Matt Berry. You've been thinking about helping KPBS with a donation. Why not donate that extra car you no longer need? Pickup is free, and you're supporting KPBS Public Media. Here's how. Visit kpbs.careasy.org. So, Matt, you are heading into the season finale for uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> How does it feel to be entering the uh, end of this second season? I suppose it's worth remembering that it, it hasn't aired in the UK, so it doesn't feel like anything because I haven't seen any of it and I can't watch it go out. So I've no idea <laughs> to answer your question truthfully. Yeah, I mean, as long as everybody, you know, has enjoyed it over where you are, then I've done my job, I guess. So how did you initially get involved with the series? I got involved. I was doing a film about three or four years ago with uh, Jermaine. And halfway through that film, he just leant over and said, look, I'm thinking about doing a TV version of that vampire film that I did. And I was like, all right. And, uh, and he said, uh, would you want to do it? So I said, yeah. I mean, would it mean working with you? And he goes, yeah. So I said, well, yeah, that's it. That's how I got, you know, that's how I got involved. It's no amazing showbiz story or anything other than that. I mean, he just asked me, you know, while we were doing something else, you know, and I obviously said, Yes, because that had been the first time that I'd worked with him. I'd always, you know, I'd always wanted to work with him and Taika, but um, we worked together on that film. So, you know, the chance of kind of, you know, sort of working together again, and he initiated it, you know, of course I'd say yes. So since you got involved so early on that show, how much involvement did you have in creating Laszlo and who he is and what kind of a person he is? Well, there wasn't much conversation had. I mean, the only thing I can kind of remember is I said to Jermaine before we'd filmed anything, you know, before we did the pilot, you know, how do you want this fella to sound? And he said, I, I want him to sound like you. And I said, well, you know, if he's Eastern Europe, you know, or everyone else is doing that, you know, then I can do that. And he was dead against that. He said, no, 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 no. I want him to sound, you know, like you sound. So that was it. That was the only conversation that we really, you know, that we really had. And then I just, you know, sort of turned up on the first day of the pilot and went for it. Now, the show has a very kind of freeform feel to it because of that mockumentary style. But how tightly scripted is it and how much uh, interplay is there in terms of like you guys improvising or changing things as, as you're shooting? It's very loose. It's a basic starting point. And then we and then we kind of shoot from there. So no one is particularly, particularly precious about the script unless there's a line that is going to be kind of relevant for a visual joke or something, a couple of scenes sort of later on, you know, then you have to make sure that you get that right. But other than that, it's very, very loose. I mean, there's a lot of sort of British references that I always think, you know, they're going to cut out. And I just kind of put them in, you know, just to sort of test the water, as it were. 
sometimes, you know, they're, they're left in from what I would imagine to the confusion of most, you know, most people. But yeah, no, it's a very good atmosphere because, you know, you are kind of left to uh, sort of try things out, you know, and see what works and what doesn't work. If you didn't have a lot of uh, background on Laszlo when this series started, what kind of a backstory did you create for him? He's unwittingly become sort of part of this scene, part of this way of, you know, way of life, I guess. I mean, he was just like a normal, a normal pompous idiot who just so, you know, just so happened to have uh, a vampire fly outside his window. She materialized, you know, into... uh, a sort of beautiful young woman and that was it then he was a you know then he was a vampire but he's no different than he was the day before he was a vampire so you know he's still the same conceited idiot that he you know that he you know that he always was i infiltrated the township posing as your average american yankee doodle dandy and i took over lucky brews bar and grill the previous owner he mysteriously disappeared because i killed him Drinks on the house. I've not looked back since. I now go by the name of Detona, Jackie Detona. And I'll tell you something. Jackie Detona's life, it ain't so bad. Not bad at all. And do you find any kind of through line between some of the other characters you've created and and Laszlo now? I guess, I mean, the, the most fun is, you know, when you play somebody who has no sense of humor and has no sense of themselves in that way and doesn't really care you know what other people think i mean i didn't intend for him to be like that but it's the way you know that it was kind of written so i just went with that you know if he'd have been some kind of quiet like sort of henpecked character i'd have done that you know with just as much enthusiasm you know but the way that he was written was he sounded like he was quite sort of keen on the sound of his own voice so I had to go with that. Well, and you do have this great voice, and some of your inflections just make a, a very simple, plain line so much funnier. I mean, just the way you say New York City. Well, that's just to keep you concentrating. Otherwise, you know, you might drift off and think about Selling Sunset or one of those other shows <laughs> that are on. <laughs> I don't know why I mentioned that one. I've just <laughs> just seen a picture for it, maybe. Yeah. You know, I've got to, you know, I've got to keep you in one place. And that's, you know, just one way of doing it. I can't have you turning over halfway through and watching Selling Sunset. I won't be doing my job if that happened. I don't see how anyone could turn away from what we do in the shadows. That show is giving me such joy in quarantine. I can just Oh, that's you. good. Thank you. Now, when you do the scenes where they're the like sit down interview parts of the show, how are those to shoot? And are you just completely kind of improvising uh, to questions that are being thrown at you? Yeah, they are completely improvised, I would say. I mean, if they're plot driven, then you got to make sure, you know, you sort of mention the two or three words that, you know, that are kind of relevant. But other than that, you can say any old nonsense because they can just cut it down. You know, we get quite a lot of time to do those, which is good. You know, gives us the you know gives us the time to say anything, and we really do say anything on those. The most horrendous things sometimes, and thank God they're not included. But in order to say those horrendous things, you get to something else. So sometimes it's worth it if that makes any sense. Yes. 
And what is it like shooting on the set? Because it seems like as characters, you guys have this ensemble. I mean, you guys are living together for centuries. Uh, what kind of a, a feel is there on the set? And have you guys kind of developed this sense of camaraderie on the set? We all love the set. I mean, the set is the best set that I've ever worked on. I mean, I've worked on a lot of sitcoms where the, you know, where the sets are sort of pony. They're just normally a bunch of flats with office furniture. But um, this is fantastic because everywhere you look, a 360 affair. So, I mean, you can go back to your, to your trailer, you know, to sort of rest in between scenes. Now, I don't do that as a rule because the set is far more comfortable. So I'll go and pick a room that isn't being used for filming and I'll go and sleep there for an hour or two because it's much more comfortable. It does freak you out when you wake up though, because you wake up and think, what the hell? You know, it's, it, it's a bit of a shock because <laughs> <laughs> there'll be a portrait of you or a skeleton or something, you know, horrendous. But um, they're far more comfortable than any of the trailers. <laughs> One of the things that I really appreciate about the show is the particular kind of humor there is because it constantly surprises you because you think you kind of have the characters figured out to a certain degree. And then like in the ghost episode, suddenly here are these vampires who don't believe in ghosts. And that was such a nice kind of turn. <laughs> right. And I'm just wondering, like, what kind of things is Jermaine Clement drawing on in, in terms of uh, coming up with these storylines? No, but I think, I mean, like, we sort of touched upon that in the first series, too. It's just, you know, it's just that thing which is always really interesting and can be quite funny, where you have a figure or, you know, a certain kind of creature, be it vamp, you know, vampire or, like, zombie. But then you think, you know, what scares them? They're very famous for, you know, sort of scaring everything else. But then, you know, what would scare them? And the more stupid and, um, you know, sort of trivial or almost childish thing that scares them is always going to be quite interesting, you know, and could be funny. Now, I am led to believe that your presence here indicates some kind of unfinished business on this terrestrial plane. Indeed so. Sorry about that, old chap. Anything I can help with? Well, actually, yes, I believe you can. You remember the night you officially died, I presume? No, I remember it well. My lovely Naja came in through the window, took my life, thus making me the vampire you see before you now. Oh, a damn handsome one at that, I might say. <laughs> You're too kind. Now, you remember the precise moment Naja took our life. I was on the verge of a sexual climax. Well, here's the thing. I was on the verge of fulfillment, yet I couldn't quite finish. Ah, I see. You want to finish your final human orgasm. Yes. I've tried to finish myself off with these hands, but they're ghost hands. They don't have the necessary stimulus. Mm, how irritating. Yeah, whereas your meat hands, I'm convinced, would give me the traction for full sexual release. And I do have to ask you about the episode you did with Mark Hamill, because you got kind of featured in that one, and that was a great piece. What was that one like to shoot? It was a lot of fun. Stephanie Robinson wrote that, and she's great. And, and it, was, it was just weird, because there was a scene where we were fighting each other with pool cues. And we had to hold the pool cues in front of us. like, And I just thought, you know, here I am, I'm stood in front of, Luke Skywalker 
holding a pool cue. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it's, there aren't that many moments, you know, that take you out of what you're doing where you think, how the hell have I ended up here doing this? I mean, I think that quite a lot. <laughs> Which is, how the hell have I ended up here? Why the hell have they hired me? <laughs> that is something I often say to myself, but you can't, you know, you won't know that I've just said that because it's in my head, obviously. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that was one of those rare occasions, you know, where I just sort of caught myself and thought, this is insane. You know, I'm here with Mark Hamill and we're fighting with sticks. It was great. You know, I mean, I was very lucky to sort of be featured in an episode and, you know, even more lucky to be featured in an episode with Mark Hamill. And what do you think it is about the show that's really striking a chord with people? Because people really love this show. I have no idea. And again, <laughs> it's worth remembering that in the UK, it doesn't really have any kind of, um, doesn't really have any kind of presence. So I don't know that it's doing well over there because ever since it's been on, I've been over here. So hasn't made any difference to me so personally because I haven't seen any kind of reaction to the show uh, I don't really look at social media and pay much attention to anything like that so you know I haven't I haven't really noticed to be honest well you mentioned how did you get here from where you were and I want to remind people about some of the other shows you've worked on because the I think the first show I saw you in was Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Dead Dag, we're too late. Looks like our man struck again. Negative, Sanch. They sign a fresh kill. In fact, they downloaded like a killer tool. Guy probably came down, got lost, went mad, ate his hands, and died right here. Come on. There's nothing we can do for him now. Keep close. These tunnels are really long and curvy. And that show was brilliant. But it was, I, I wanted—I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of the way that show kind of played with TV tropes and had so much fun with even something as simple as just like ambience cutting from scene to scene. The aim there was to, to do something where if Brits had tried to make an American action type show, you know, using sort of British actors and the British sensibilities, you know, and the British way of doing things, yet try to make it look like, you know, it was the A-team or something. And that's what you got. You got something that was, that you thought you had a handle on, yet you didn't. And it was terrible. Yeah, it's me, Dag. I'm in a dead end. I've been cornered by some cutlery. I think I can take them. A whisk, a tin opener, and a spatula. Yeah, I'll take the whisk out first and hold them off as long as I can. Ah! I'm hit, I'm down. Yeah, got me in the leg. They'll be after you next. Bye. But, you know, you couldn't take your eyes off it. I mean, I remember my cousin, this is going back years. He was really young when that first went out. And I remember he phoned me and said, look, I saw that thing that you did last night, man. That's terrible. What the hell was that? And I, I had to sort of explain there that it, that it was kind of meant to be bad. I hadn't foolishly joined a terrible show. The point was, you know, it was supposed to look half-assed and the rest of it. And uh, <laughs> I just love the fact that he took pity on me and thought, you know, I'd made a huge mistake by being in this show. <laughs> well, and you, and you describe it as an action, uh, an action show, but it's set, it's like General Hospital as an action show. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's that. So it's 
doctors who pull guns on one another, which I always thought was a great idea. You know, the fact that, you know, you're a doctor, you know, you're working, you know, in a, a hospital, but something intense happens over there. So you pull your gun. I'd never seen that before, you know, and was fully in favor of something as stupid as that. And of course, I love every time you cut to the exterior of the hospital, it's like a kind of a cardboard. Shitty model. Yeah. Model. yeah. <laughs> anyway, that show uh, gave me a lot of joy. Thank you. <laughs> and the attention to detail in terms of like capturing this particular style was wonderful. Well, it's funny you should mention it because when we filmed the second series of What We Do in the Shadows, we're in Canada when we filmed that. And the first week of shooting in one of the cinemas in Toronto was doing a Garth Marenghi sort of marathon night where they'd show every episode, you know, then, and it's just pure coincidence that I was there for the first week of filming. So Stephanie Robinson, who wrote, you know, who writes the show, she also found out and was like, you've got to go down. You've got to go and, say you know sort of say hello and, I, and to be honest I, I was a bit I wasn't keen it's like I never think you know you should turn up to something that you've not been asked to you know I firmly believe that but she said no you know it, it would be great if you did you know you should definitely go so she dragged me we went in there and this massive cinema was packed with people dressed in the costumes you know that we you know that we wore 20 years ago, you know, whenever it was that we made that. Yeah, then I went on stage, you know, and sort of, and it, I digress, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was serendipitous. Now, you've also written shows, and uh, I think one of your first ones was Snuffbox that you starred in and also wrote. That's true. <laughs> about that show because it, in a certain sense like the the style of comedy in that is radically different from what we do in the shadows there's kind of a it's almost like you break off into sketches and you even got to compose on that one too well I mean I've composed on what we do in the shadows I don't know whether that episode has gone out yet yeah I mean it was it was it was an experiment you know and I you know and I was very lucky to be able to do what I did I mean whether I do that again now probably not but you know, I was a lot younger and you've got to sort of try these things out. And I wasn't pulled off the air. I was convinced that I would be. I was thinking there's no one's going to want to see this. But, uh, you know, they went, you know, they went with it. They didn't give us a second series, which I wasn't at all surprised by. But uh, it was good, you know, because it, it was, I learned how sort of television works. When you write your own thing that's going to be made on TV, you have to then become, you know, sort of savvy and all sorts of things, the technical side of things. And it was, it was a good, it was a good lesson for me for, for, you know, for when I did toast. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very sort of thankful of the opportunity that I had with that show. Well, in Toast of London, you also get to have a lot of fun with vocal work. Yeah. 
because you play someone who's con seems to be constantly in a sound booth. <laughs> yeah, he's a voiceover artist. Yeah. Periscope. Down. Periscope. Hi, Stephen. This is Clem Fandango. What, the work experience boy? Yeah, can you hear me, Stephen? Yeah, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. Where's that other prick? Danny, he's DJing at a music festival this weekend. Yeah, just to be clear, so these will be heard on every submarine in the Royal Navy. Yeah, they're just automating and digitizing everything. You know, the commander presses a button and the recording of your voice will be heard immediately. Yeah, I'm not interested in all that. Can we just crack on? Fire the nuclear weapons! Stephen, that was good. But you think you can give it another try, this time say it in a less alarming way? Less alarming? I've just given the order to fire the nuclear weapons. I've just unleashed Armageddon. Yes, but the feeling here is that you could do it in a way which is a little less dramatic. It's just a little bit over the top at the moment. Have fun with it. Fire the nuclear weapons! That was a little bit too far the other way, a bit too jolly. Yeah, when you just try a few more times. Fire the nuclear weapons! 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 Yeah. So, as you're uh, heading into the end of this season of What We Do in the Shadows, what have you liked most about playing Laszlo? I like working with Natasha. That's that's my you know one of my main highlights that's great because we got almost identical sense of humor so and that really helps my laszlo has always been quite musical it's true i can play anything i don't give a monkeys whether it's a three-way plunk box antoine sax's metallic clarinet oh, yes. or the chin grinders wind piano mm. but i'll tell you this my luck changed the night i met Naja. For she is an exquisite lyricist. Guilty, Your Honor, send me down. See? That's why I love this one. Shall we do it? What ever happened to sweet Daisy Lou? Her hoop skirt was a poop skirt when she couldn't find the It's just made so much easier for me being in such an amazing set, everybody kind of concentrating as, as hard as they can because that really brings out everyone to you know, sort of fizz off each other and do what you need to do. Yeah, it's just a good environment. I mean, you know, it's a good environment for me personally. I can't speak for anyone else. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know how they find, you know, but it's, it's good for me. It's inspiring. And if something, you know, if there's that amount of attention to detail that's gone into everything that, you know, that you look at around you, then you have to match that, I think. You have to be as good as all this. So... It does, you know, it kind of makes you raise your game, which is always, always worth doing. And the show's been renewed for another season. Do you have any kind of hopes for where Laszlo might go or something that he might get to do? No, I mean, that's none of my business. It's not my show. I mean, if they, you know, it's up to them to do whatever they want to do with it, you know, or that, you know, or that character. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, you know, for me to say, what should happen to him, you know, or what he could do or whatever. You know, I'm just there to do the job. You know, I'm sort of happy to help. And you said you got to do some composing for the show. Uh yeah, there's one, I think it went out last night or the night before, whatever night it goes out over there. The story being that all these now famous songs, I reckon I composed like hundreds of years ago. Hi. 
What do you want? That sounded great. Have you ever thought of maybe performing live? Kind of a 300 years of great music? But no one has even heard most of these songs. Witches are snitches, horse-drawn carriage full of ass, wannabe. If you want, I can put out some feelers. Well, if you can sort out a concert, we might turn up. I'll see what I can do, Daddy-o. Rock on. So I had to write a load of songs that we performed in this club. I don't know how much of them ended up in the final thing, but um, I wrote, you know, a load of short songs for this episode. And there's this music room, this extra room in the house that we see, that we see for the first time. And there were some piano things that I had to write for that. So, um, but it's difficult to say, because I, I don't know whether any of that was, you know, kind of left in or edited out. So when you see the final show, it's kind of a surprise for you as to what actually ends up in there. Well, yeah, I mean, it's difficult for me to see because I don't have effects or anything. You know, I don't have those streaming things. You know, it's mostly, you know, I mean, but the thing is, it doesn't really matter what I think. You know, I mean, if, if everybody else liked it, you know, and, if, you know, and the people that wrote it and kind of made it and who are in charge, if they're all happy, you know, then I'm happy. I don't really need to. You know, it doesn't matter what I think. And the fact that you've composed on some of these shows, you actually have a, a band and have put out records too, correct? Or out, we don't do records anymore. I'm old. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, we we do do records. Yeah, I've just sent something off now to to be vinyled. Yeah, I mean, I was doing that before doing this stuff. So whenever you know, I'm asked to kind of talk about it. It's not, you know, it, it was just, you know, it was something you know that I've always done and. I happened to kind of drift into this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, it just seems perfectly natural. It's this that was, you know, that I didn't expect, if that makes any sense. So how did you get into this? <laughs> I just drifted. I was, I, was, um, I was playing some songs before a comedy act in London. And um, I'd done it for a couple of weeks and then kind of realized that doing straight songs, you know, before a sort of comedy thing probably wasn't such a great idea. Might be worth, you know, making some of these songs sort of funny or just doing something with them, you know, that was kind of different. So I did that. And that's what led to me being spotted by Matt and Richard. And then I got into, then I did Garth, Dark Place. And then that led to the IT crowd, which then led to, led to Toast. It's just luck, pure luck. <laughs> Well, the luckiest man in London. <laughs> but you have the talent to make it all work. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so were you originally interested in a music career then? Well, I I would have been happy just to have worked in the arts. That was that was, you know, that was my goal, whether that was painting or making making music. Either of those would have been fine by me. I mean, I love music, I suppose, you know, is my main is my main passion and it's what I think about. I would have just been happy just to have worked in the arts, you know, and not done a normal, you know, like a, a job that I wasn't interested in, I suppose. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking some time to talk to me. And I am looking so forward to the season finale, although I'll be sad for the show to go away for a while. <laughs> well, thank you very much indeed. Nice to have talked to you. And can I ask you, during the podcast, is it okay to play any clips from your music at all? Um, Please do. Go ahead.
That's the title track of Matt Berry's Night Terrors album that came out in 2017. I've been thrilled to speak with actor, writer, and composer Matt Berry, and deeply regret that I did not ask him to say, yes, I can hear you, Beth Accomando, in that glorious voice of his. But you can catch him in the season finale of What We Do in the Shadows on June 10th. All the clips I used here in the podcast were courtesy of the FX Networks. You can find Barry's music on his website, thematbarry.co.uk, or on Spotify. Since Barry was kind enough to let me play some of his music, here's a cut that boasts my favorite title, From the Manger to the Mortuary, from his Witch Hazel album. Hope this inspires you to seek out more of his music and more of his shows. So till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. (laughs) ¶¶